Okay, we are learning Daf Tesvav. We're starting the new parak. So the Mishnah begins uh, describing the, what they would do on the public fast days. Now we've learned that there are three series of fasts. You have the first three, the second three, and the last seven. So it's not going to be clear exactly to the Gemara which of the fast days we're referring to. Eventually, we're going to clarify that we're talking about the last series of fast days, the most severe. So the Mishnah teaches Seder Tainius Ketzad. What's the Seder? What's the procedure? How do we do this? So they would do a very brazen thing. They would take the Aaron with the Sefer Torah inside of it, and they would take it outside, in, and they would take it outside the shul into the street. They would put ashes on top of the Aaron, and the Gemara will tell us what exactly is going on here. But this is a tremendous significance in the sense that there's like a gullus which is taking place, and it's a tremendous sign of humility which is taking place, and they're putting ashes as if it's HaKadosh Baruch who is suffering together with them, all these different symbolisms which the Gemara will elaborate on. Then in addition to putting the ash on top of the Aron, Barosh Anasi, Barosh Av Basin, they would also put the ashes on top of the head of the Nasi, and on top of the head of the Av Basin. So they would put ashes on all of the prominent people of the community. And after they had placed ashes on the prominent leaders of the community, and each individual who was outside here at this gathering of, da- of davening, everybody would take the ashes and put them on their own head. So, so far, all it is that we've seen is that uh, on the public fast days, and we're specifically referring to the last seven one, the third series of fasts, we're taking out the Aron into the street, uh, they're putting ashes on the Aron, on, on the heads of the prominent people of the community, and everybody is following and putting ashes on their own head. The oldest person, the elder person who was, who was there in the community would speak in front of them and he would say, Kibushin are like Musr. He would say, Achinu, our brothers, regarding the people of Ninveh, the famous story of Ninveh, they did Shufa at the last moment. It doesn't say by Ninveh, by Yarlokim, it doesn't say, Akadish Baruch Hu saw their sackcloth in the fast. That, I mean, they did don sackcloth and they did fast, but it doesn't say that Akadish Baruch Hu saw that, meaning that's not what uh, precipitated the change. That's not what made Akadish Baruch Hu uh, change his mind of destroying Ninveh. Ella, what it does it say? Hashem saw their actions. They had repented. So that's always the, 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 the inspiration here, that, that we're looking for true repenting. In other words, we're going through all these motions and we're having all these external symbolisms and we're putting ashes and, on people's heads and we're taking out the Aaron in the street and we're, we're saying certain words, whatever it is. But ultimately, it's not about that. Ultimately, those are just outward displays of something that we want on the inside and we're trying to evoke that. The words of the Navi are um, that you should rip your hearts and not your clothes, meaning the most important point of the fast day, again, is, the, is not the, the physical parts, but really what's going on inside the heart. Okay, and then they would go to, 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 to Davin here in, in the street. So they would send down to the Arun, meaning they're having, again, like someone or Shliat Sibor in outside service. So they would send down Zakim Viragel, which would be an older person who knows the Tefillah very well. Chazan, um, we're going to see exactly in the Gemara the depth of why it's so important to have a good Chazan. But the, there's a certain criteria that the Chazan has to meet. He has to be Zalkin Varago, an older person who's Ruggle, who knows that he should have children, but he shouldn't be rich. He should be someone who has a hard time providing for his family. We want his heart to be completely Shalim, completely um, whole in the Davani. We want him to be the right representative for the people. Um, now, on this day, there are 24 brachas. 
as we, you know, we've spoken about this a couple of days ago, that it's not clear if the 24 brachos are only inserted in the last series of fasts or if the 24 brachos are in the middle fast and the beginning fast as well. But the one thing which is clear is that they certainly are present at the last series of seven fasts. They certainly are present. So he says 24 brachos. Where is the number 24? Yod The 18 brachos which one which are recited regularly in the routine of every day. Most of them are There's additional six brachos which were said. And again, we're going to see that they're inserted between Gol, Yisrael, and Rafainu. Well, these are the six brachos. What are these brachos? So we have Zechronos Veshofros, right? That's the bracha of Atazocha, which we say on the Yom Nuram Rashan Yom Kippur, Shofros, which um, we're also familiar with. But the one thing that we don't say is Malchios, right? Malchios is very specific to Rosh Hashanah about Hashem judging the world, the kingship of Rabbi Baruch Hu, but that's not relevant here to the fast. Right? Here we just want the, the Zechronos and the Shofros. So then we also start with the third one with El Hashem Batsarosli Kras Vayanini. So that's, that's actually Kapitol Tehillim. That's Kapitol Kovchav in Tehillim. And the, the, the next one I say in Ayel Harim, which is Kapitol Kovchav Aleph, Malkim Kroshi Hashem, Kapitol Kovlamid. So basically what they would do is they would recite, the bracha was the recitation of the psukim of these, and then what they would do is there was a conclusion, there was a chasima that was added on to all of these things, and then it would be a baracha to Hashem. So let's see, the, the Mishnah will go through it, but the point is that the bulk of the last four brachos were just psukim. Okay, so it was really just reciting the, 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 those, those um, psukim from Tehillim, and then there would be a chasima. So that would be six extra brachos. Again, zechonos and trophos, and then these six kapitlach. El Hashem, Esra'inai, Ma'amakim, and Tfilani. If you say, no, 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 we don't say zechonos and trophos. That, that's Yom Naram type of stuff. We don't do that here. El Omer Tachtem, rather we say in the place of them. Rov ki abaretz, dever ki yes. So there's, uh, these are psukim from, from, from Malachim. Whereas, um, so Shlomo's Tfilah. To, to always respond to that, Kalish Baruch should always respond to us. We say that, and and this is from Navi, from Yirmiya, which again is talking about Kalish Baruch who's saving us. So he has a different, um, a different first two. Okay, now that's all the bulk of the brachos. But what are the chasima? Right? A lot of these were just psukim. So for Omer Chosman, there's a proper way to end each of the extra bracha. I'll be showing uh, on the first special bracha. What do you say? The one who answered Avram and Maria should answer you and listen to the sound of your call on this day. Now, here's where things get very confusing. Where would this bracha, where, what bracha are we doing this to? It says this is the first one, Allah Rishona. So the simple understanding would be the first of the additional six, right? We're adding six brachas. But if you look at the chasimahs, Baruch HaTashem, Goel Yisrael, remember the six brachos are added between Goel Yisrael and Rafa'inu. So the Gemara is going to clarify that actually what's going on is that Goel Yisrael also has an extension. And then you add in this point. Before, instead of just saying, Baruch HaTashem, Goel Yisrael, you add, And then we're going to have, we're already up to two, but we're going to see there's a total of seven. So it's good. It's two through seven, which is for the additional six brachas. They're going to have their own chasimah. So it's a bit confusing. We're going to get to that in the Gemara. Alashnia for the second bracha, who Omer, the second bracha, remember, is the bracha for Zechronos. So you say, Mishra, so I'm saying, Yamsuf, the one who answered our forefathers, Al Yamsuf. So I was a married raid from our footner, beautiful Vart. He says, What does it mean that the Abishta answered us by Yamsuf? What, what tefillah did we say by Yamsuf? It says in the Pasuk that they tried davening, and while Kaddish Baruch Hu said to stop davening, right? He said, 
So it doesn't sound like uh, it was the time for davening. But yeah, what do we say here? Misha, the one who responded to them. It sounds like we're trying to, you know, remember, recall the memory of the schos of what we davened at the, at the Yamsuf. So what in the world is the Prat in that? So Rafunner says that, 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 that the Rishonim bring that from the Medrash that Tasu Umna that the Jewish people were davening. They, they, they daven just because, like, that's, that's what a Jew does. That's what we're trained to do. If you need something, you have to daven. They weren't really, Rashi really brings that. It's like, it wasn't the most sincere tefillah. They weren't really so into it. And the reason we know is because they were complaining. The very same possible, they're complaining, they're also davening. So it was begat their tafsir, but our is masbir, that that exactly was the biggest koach. The biggest koach was the fact that it was out of, like, habit or routine. It was instilled in the Jewish people that they daven, even if they're, 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 they don't have the full kavana, but they know that it's from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that something has to change. So that's the, that was the biggest chos. The biggest chos is that they, they knew that they were supposed to daven. And even if the tefillah wasn't sincere, all right, they were also simultaneously complaining, that was Misha Anav Zavaseh The Ebeshah just had to hear that we wanted to daven, and that was it. Anyways, interesting idea that there was a chos from the tefillah by Yamsov. So that's the chasimah for the second bracha. Ashlishes who Omer, this is the bracha for Shofros. Misha to Yeshua Val Gilgal. Yanaz Kavishu Akos Kazuma Yamsev Bracha Tashem Shomea Teruah. So I don't know, um, so we mentioned the Koach of Yeshua by Gilgal. Okay, um, this is, it's interesting, it relates well to Yericho, right? Because that, that was the reference to, to Yeshua in the story of Yericho, as we learned yesterday, right? They blew the shofar, and that's when the walls collapsed. So here's the bracha of shofar, so it happens to fit uh, very nicely. al um, the fourth bracha, which was Kapitel Kovchav, al Hashem Batsarasali, so we finish off Mishar to Shmuel Ba Mitzvah, who Yadam's Kavishma, because of Kasamayim Zebracha Tashem, Shomeyat Sa'akab. So this was a war against the Plishtim, right? So this makes sense. The, the, the capital, which is beginning from Kovchav, that, that we were in, uh, we were al Hashem Batsarasli, Krasavi Ha'anini, so we recall the schos of Shmuel. al Hamishis, which is Esayinai, we see Mishra Sali, Obahar Kamu, Yadam's Kavishma, Kosamayim Zebracha Tashem, Shomeyat Tvila. So that's good for, that fits well, because the, what was this whole thing? It says Esayinai El Aharim, right? What's Pshat Esayinai El Aharim? So, so, so the whole thing is that it happened on the mountain, right? What happened? Elio had a confrontation with the Nevi'im of the Baal. There was a whole thing, right? We had the people who were over at Zara, and we had the people who weren't, and then there was all these people, as Elio said, which is a famous thing, which is like, you sit in the middle, you're a fence-sitter, do you believe in Hashem or do you not? Like, where, where do you stand? So the whole confrontation that, that Elio did, which brought it to such drama, you know, who's Hashem going to answer? The whole point was that, you know, there should be clarity for the people who are in the middle. That was really the point of the whole thing. So Esa'ina El Laharim is because it was on Harakarma. So that's the, the reference to it. Right now, I'm looking at the mountains and I'm looking at this dramatic showdown taking place with the Vihabao. So that's why it fits very well for the, the tefillah of Esa'ina El Laharim to go and mention the schos of Elio Harakarma. The one answered Yonah inside of the fish's belly. So that's what it means. What does it mean from the depth I called out to you? So if you look in the, in the, in the words of the Navi, in Yonah, that's Mamish what he says, right? I called out Mishol from the Betan, from the depths. The idea that he was swallowed inside a fish was like, was like the lowest moment in the story. So it's, it's both, it's, what's nice about the story is that it's both literal and it's not, right? And it's also figurative. It's like he's literally trapped inside of a fish, so he's in the depths, he's in, he's in the innards of the fish, 
But it's also in the story, it's the lowest point. It's like, how, how low can you sink? You try to run away from God's mission to the extent that no matter where you run, you can't hide to the extent that finally you're trapped inside of a fish. So he davens from there, and that's, that's the turning point in Yonah. So it's, So we finish off with the schos of Yonah. On the seventh bracha, who Omer, Mishan is Dabra Vishlam of Nobi Shalim, the one who has Dabra Vishlam, Yanam is Kamish Bokos Kamish Bracha Tashem, Hamirachim Al Haaret. So this was the famine, and which, 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 in times of David, but also Shlomo was Dominic for that, the same thing when he built the base of Mikdash. That's Tfila, La Ani Kiata for the poor people. Poor people, excuse me, are when there's not food, right? That's the point. They're poor because there's a famine. So that one, Kofes, Tfila, La Ani Kiata of. So that's the one we finish off with the schos of David Ushlama, who both together David for the end of famine. So that's Habrachat Hashem Malar. So as you notice, there are seven. So now it all makes sense. There are six additional brachos. And the, the, the brach of Gol Yisrael gets a special chasima as well, but Misha as Avraham Ahara Maria. Okay? So there we go. That's how it used to work. Now we learn a story. Mar is going to tell us. A, uh, a, a really long like extension of the story, but we're just going to get the, the concise version here. My said it was a story. Top of the base. We may Rabbi Chalav and Dizrav Chalatzer Chananya ben Tragin or Chananya ben Tragin. So these are the people lived uh, post the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. Shavar Achalif Neateva. Somebody once went to Davin um, when on a fast day. Vegamar is called Bracha Kula. He finished the whole Bracha. Velo Anu Achrav Amen. The Tzibur didn't respond Amen. So what's the point? They didn't respond Amen. Instead of saying Amen, they said a new thing. They said, They had a different response. Um, and we're going to see in the Gemara that basically in the Beis HaMikdash, there is such a din. In the Beis HaMikdash, we don't answer Amen. When we are a bracha, we answer a special response of Baruch So these Tanoim were doing the same thing outside once the Beis HaMikdash was already destroyed and they weren't uh, living there in the Beis HaMikdash anymore. They were still also doing the same thing of not answering Amin, but rather Baruch Shem. And we're going to see that the Chachamim were actually critical of that. The Chachamim did not, uh, did not think that that was correct. We'll learn about that in the Gemara. Okay, now the Gabbai says, Tiku HaKohanim Tiku. He tells the people, blow the Tikiyah, the Kohanim, blow the Tikiyah. So there's a big question here. If, if, if the instructions are definitely to blow the tekiah, but the question is whether or not they would dafka only blow tekiah or whether they were blowing a full set of tekiah through a tekiah. Um, we'll, we'll see that. It, remember, it could be that we learned yesterday there was 18, right? So six times three, which would kind of want to indicate that it was a tekiah through a tekiah. But here, definitely, the instruction is only to sound the tekiah. So they would say, um, they, they, would, they would say to... to to, to sound the shofar, and then he would continue. So, if you learn this pashup shot in the Mishnah, what it would sound like? It would sound like they would repeat. In other words, they already said the end of the bracha, right? With the answer, Amen, a brach shame. But then they would repeat that last chasima, right? They would repeat that. So, what's going on? Like, how do, why, why are we doing that at all? Um, that, it sounds like a. A difficult, a difficult point, right? You would think that, the, you would think that the shofar, the shofar would come at what point? The shofar would come right, right at the end of the bracha. It sounds like here they're they're having the instruction blowing the shofar and then they're repeating it. So, so the Gemara will talk about this a little bit more. It's a little bit of a complexity. Um, the pashup shat though would be is that they they make the chasima and then there's the blowing of the shofar. That's what would make sense. Okay, um, and then when we get to the next bracha. So by the second bracha, they would alternate the instruction. On the second bracha, they would say, Make the Torah, make the Torah. 
So again, does that mean they only blew the Torah and not the Tkiah? Or does that mean it was just they were all, the, the instructions were a little bit different, but really what they were saying, what they were blowing was Tkiah, Torah, Tkiah. So that's a machlokas exactly. But they were, the instruction definitely alternated. So now they're saying, blow the Torah, blow the Torah. And then they would have the chasim of the second bracha. And then the same thing for all the, the next five. Okay, so there was an, they would alternate between blowing the Tkiah, Torah, whether they're actually changing what they're blowing, which was changing the instruction. Where exactly is the blowing taking place? Are they repeating the chasimah? Some of those details have to be have to be fleshed out in the Gemara, but more or less, that's what's going on in between each bracha. We have we have uh, blowing the shofar. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll see in the, the Gemara. Yeah. We'll see in the Gemara. The Gemara, the Gemara will will address. Okay. When the Chacham heard about what was going on here with these people, in other words, really what the, what the main point that the Chacham are hearing about, which is alarming them, is that the Chacham are hearing that they're not answering Amen. And again, instead of answering Amen, they're doing like the Beis HaMikdash, they're answering They say, We don't do that with, with saying Baruch Shein instead of Amen. We only do that in the Beis HaMikdash itself. But except for that, then you just answer a simple Amen. So the Chacham were not approving of that. Okay. Now we get back to something. Truth is that we actually quoted this, this next segment of the Mishnah a little bit before. So we're going to talk about the Anshay Mishnah and the Anshay Beisav. So the Anshay Mishnah and the Anshay Beisav is that each week, the Kohanim, there was a different group of Kohanim who would come serving the Beisav Mikdash. So the Mishnah was whoever was on duty for the whole week. And the Anshay Beisav were the people specifically that would break it down family by family who were, who were actually serving um, on that particular day. So on the Shalosh Tanis, where we showed us on the first three fasts, the people of the Mishmar who aren't necessarily, it's not necessarily their duty that particular day, but they're there for the week. So they fast. In other words, they start fasting, but they don't complete the fast. So we learned that, you know, what, what does it mean? You're, you're fasting, but you're not, you're not finishing. Is that anything? Is that worthless? So we had a machlokas in the Gemara. If that's considered like just a sheet of bizarre, is that all it is? Like, like showing that you're together with the community and they're distressed? Or is it more than that? Is it really a din of a tainus that even though you don't finish, it's still halachically a tainus? So that's a machlokas that we had back a couple dapim ago. But either way, the point is they're not, they're not completing the fast. Because, again, theoretically, they could be called to do an avodah. The people who are actually doing the avodah that day, they don't fast at all. So meaning, the avodah is more important. It's more important that you can do the avodah with strength than it is that you can fast. So the people who are actually doing the avodah that day, they're called on mamash, they know they're going to do it. They don't even attempt to fast at all. The Anshi Mishma, who are there, definitely as reserves, but it's not particularly their day. So they start the fast, but they don't complete the fast. Shalosh Niyaz, when it comes to the second series of fasts, the second three fasts, and then it gets a little bit more Hamar. So the Anjei Mishmar, who are the reserves, Misan and Umash Limit. So in the second series of fasts, they both start and complete the fast. The Anjei Beisav, Misan and Umash Limit. The people of the Beisav who are actually called upon that day, they fast but do not complete. Okay, so it just goes, it goes up one notch in severity. And Sheva Achronos, but we get to the last seven fasts, which are now the most stringent in the third series, Elu Ve'elu, Misan and Mashlimin. Both groups, there's no excuses, there's no defense not to fast. Everybody has to fast over Rabbi Shua, complete the fast. Even though these people are actually doing the Avodah that day in the base of Mikdash, they're still obligated to complete their fast. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua. No, it's a little bit more lenient. So everything in the Chachamim is just going to be a level more lenient. When it came to the first three fasts, None of them would even attempt at all. You don't have to do anything. It's the first three, it's very lenient, so therefore no one has to do anything. 
since they have a good defense, they could theoretically even do the avod in the base of Mikdash. They don't have to fast. Shalosh is the second series of three fasts. Anshi Mishmar, Misan of The people of the Mishmar who are in reserves, they should start the fast, but they don't complete. Anshi Beisav, The people of the Beisav wouldn't fast at all. Shavach Ronos, on the last seven fasts, Anshi Mishmar, Misan of The reserves, the people of the Mishmar fast and complete. Anshi Beisav, Misan of The people of the Beisav who are actually working, they fast, but do not complete their fast. According to the Chachamim, there is never a scenario, none of the fasts require the people who are actually doing that to finish their fast. Okay, so it's machlok is exactly to what level are people exempted um, when they're actually doing that vote in the base of Mikdash. Okay, so now we get on a tangent. Once we mention the discrepancy between the Anshi Mishmar and the Anshi Beisav in terms of how chamer it is for them to fast, so now we mention other distinctions between them. So we know that a Kohen is not allowed to do the Avodah after he drinks a Revius of Yain, right? That's the Pasuk um, in Parsha Shmini, after another Menavil, which makes sense, according to the opinion that they drink wine, but even if that's not why it's there, but the Pasuk says, Yain for the Kohanim, to, to be inebriated, and even if they're not totally drunk, but even just the reviews of Yayin, they're not allowed to do that voda. So the question is, are they allowed to drink wine on the day that they're there or the week that they're there in the base of Mikdash? So this is the day. They're allowed to drink the wine at night. Again, the Anshe Mishmar, it's their general time during the week, but it's not the particular day that, they're, that, is, that is designated for them, but they always are the reserves. So the Mishmar people could not drink wine during the day because they might be called upon to, as reserves. So since at any moment, you never know, you might be called upon to help out in the base of Mikdash. And if you'd have the, the effects of alcohol, so then you can't, uh, you can't do that voda. So therefore, there's a din that the Anshe Mishmar are never allowed to drink wine during the day. But at night, they're allowed to. Why? Because at night... There's no surprises, meaning at night we know what, what has to be done. On that night, all that has to be done is the burning of the Imurim, which wasn't completed by the end of the day. So basically, you know what you're dealing with. There's no surprises. Oh, so some of these people are suddenly showing up with all these animals. There's no surprises. You know what has to be done. So if, 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 if we see that they're needed, we see that they're needed. But if we see that they're not needed, so then they can go enjoy. They can go... They can go drink wine. We don't expect them to be called in to, for, for, for doing the avoda. So therefore, the people of the Mishmar who are not serving that day are allowed to drink wine at night. However, in contrast, Anshe Beisav, Lo Avayom, the people of Beisav are serving the day are not allowed to drink wine or night because they do the avoda during the night as well. So they, it's responsible that day's avoda extends during the night, the burning of the Emurim. So it's also for them to drink, to drink wine at the night that follows. Um, so therefore, there's a din that they're not allowed to drink wine as well. Okay, another halacha. Anshi Mishmar of Anshi Maimid, both the people in the Mishmar and the people of the Maimid. The Maimid, it's an interesting din, the din of the Maimid. We're going to learn about it later in the Masechah. But basically, the Torah says that there's a din that the bilam of a carbon should really be present by, by the Hakrava. Now, we're going to see, it's not Akiv the carbon, but you know, it's a fascinating thing. You can just kind of you know, tell somebody to you know, take an animal for you in your Shalayim and bring a carbon on your behalf, and that's, that's, that, that works. But the Gemara is before that there's definitely some sort of preference or din that the bilim should be present when his carbon is being brought. So how does that work when Klaisel has a carbon tumen, which is brought every day, right? How does that work? Where's the, where's the bilim on the carbon? So the Gemara tells us that there were alternating groups of people who would take off work, Yisraelim, who would take off work and go 
be present in the base of Mikdash when the carbon Talmud was brought. And once they're being present, you know, so then they're also going to daven for the Hatzlachah, the carbon, and so on and so forth. But those are called the people of the Maimon. And again, what they are, they're representatives of the community that whenever the carbon Talmud is being brought, so then you, the, it's as if the Bailum of Klal Yisrael is always present in the base of Mikdash. So the people, the Mishmar, the Kohanim, and the Anshi Maimon who are there, Asurin Milasapra and Machabis. There's an answer for them to cut their hair and wash their clothing while they're there. What's the Pshat? So this is Mamash Lekhal Hamoid. The idea is that we want to make sure they do it before the week. We want to make sure that they come in looking very good. So therefore, in order to make sure that they come in looking good, we restrict them from doing it while they're there, which then forces them to make sure that they did it before they show up to the base of Mekdash. When it comes to Thursday of the week that they're there, mutar and it's for them to cut their hair and wash their clothing. With Kvod HaShabbos, a special hatter. Of Kavod Shabbos. Why Thursday, not Friday? Because Friday people are actually busy with the, you know, the cooking and the preparations for Shabbos. So Thursday is the day that you get the haircut and wash the clothing. Shabbos, yes. It switched on Shabbos. I mean, they would probably show up on Friday, but uh, the switching was on Shabbos. All right. Now, remember, we, remember our Megillah's Tainus? Remember Megillah's Tainus, that book, that saw, which speaks about all the minor, you know, moral, uh, the, the minor holidays um, that took place in the second base of Mikdash's time, and there were days that Chazal celebrated. They were like moral victories, like of sorts. You know, we got the Stukim, we got the Romans, whatever it was, we were able to be saved from. So there were days that they instituted don't fast or don't eulogize. So Kalakos Megillah's Tainus is a little misbarred. Whenever there's a minor festival in Megillah's Tainus that says don't eulogize. So it says, it doesn't say don't fast, it says don't eulogize. So then, Lafanov Asr, it's Asr even the day before to eulogize. And Erev of that Yontif, it's Asr as well. Why? What's the Pshat? Because it needs a chizik, right? We want people to remember the holidays. These are minor holidays, right? Today, we don't even know any of them because so we, we don't observe them anymore. But the, the point is that when it was around, there was like a chizik that they gave that even the day before, if it's a day of that is also eulogized, even the day before is asr. The but the day afterwards, you don't have to be machazik it. It's not asr the day after. You don't have to reinforce it so much. Um, no, it's also both the day before and the day after. It's like, you know, it's like an Isru Chag for it, that, they, that, that you can't eulogize on the day afterwards as well. However, when it says, whenever it says not to fast, then it's mutter both before and after. Meaning, if it's only fasting, which is also, that's a lesser festival, right? Because, in other words, if it's only also to fast, that's like more, more of a, against the festival. So that's a, a more of a minor uh, thing. So if it only says not to fast, it doesn't say don't eulogize, it says not to fast, then it's much both the day before and the day after. one level down, the fun of Asr Lachra Mutter. So the days where it's also to eulogize certainly are also to fast. It's also to eulogize and it's to fast and even to eulogize, right? That's the point. You would even push away eulogy. So then it's more Hummer. Certainly the day before is also the Machlokas is the day after. But if it's only a day that's also to fast but not also to eulogize, so then Tanakama is saying it's much both the day before and the day after. Rabiosi is saying the day before is, is also the day afterwards is Mother. Okay, now we mentioned this din before, that when we have this series of fasts, it's always Monday, Thursday, Monday. So, in goes in Tanis Batrila you don't start a series of fasts on a Thursday. It should always start on a Monday. What's the reason? We don't want to mess up the economy. The point is, there's going to be a rush to buy food on Thursday because you need food for Shabbos and food for after the Tainus. So, people aren't so aware of the fact that it was a fast day. The shopkeepers just see the high demand for food, so they might say, oh, there's a shortage of food and it will, it will, it will increase the prices wrongly. So, we want to have Monday, Thursday, Monday. Since they already fasted 
on Monday, so by the time it comes to Thursday, the, the people will be aware, right? The shopkeepers will be aware what's going on, that there was already a fast days going on, and they won't, and they'll understand, and it won't cause such a, um, an increase in prices. When it comes to the second fast, then it could be Thursday, Monday, Thursday, because by the second fast, people are already aware of the, of the fact that we're fasting. No, the same way the first three fasts don't start on a Thursday, so too the second three fasts or the final seven should never start on a Thursday. Um, since there's an interval between the fasts, again, we don't want people to be taken by surprise. People are taken by surprise. They just see a high demand for food. That might mess up the economy. So it's the same for the second and third fast as well. Another day in Angors and Tanis Alatibur, we don't make a fast on the community. But Rashi Chadash and Mechanic of a perm. If it's a if it's a moed or, or, or a happy day, so then we're not supposed to fast, right? So 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 since Mitzvah Rabbanan, there are days that are yomtiv. So therefore, it's a din that you know, we don't make it a, a fast on the community on these days. Let's say they've already started a series of fasts. Now, in Mavsikim, we're not going to interrupt it if one of the days falls on Rosh Hanukkah perm. So meaning, basically, we're saying is that it should be observed. As a, if, it's a, if it's continuing a series of fasts which has already begun. That's the opinion of Even though Regamil just said that we don't interrupt an ongoing series of fasts, meaning let's say we we're goes there at series of fasts, and then it happens to be that uh, one Thursday that comes out, oh, it's actually Rosh Chodesh today. So then, Rebbe Gamliel is saying, that we, have, we still continue the fast. Modesh Emesh Lehman, Gamliel would agree that we don't complete the fast. We only, we only start the fast. We break the fast before sunset. We don't want to make it a complete one. Where do we find the same thing? If Tishbub is on Arab Shabbos. Now, in our calendar, Tishbub never falls on Arab Shabbos. But the one fast that we could have is... Asar Batavis could fall on a Friday. In those cases, we are required to fast, but we break the fast a little bit before sunset. Why? Because we don't want to go into Shabbos fasting. So it's very interesting because it's a completely different angle. In the case in the Mishnah, it's that a fast day, a, fa- a series of fast days happen to coincide with one of the days being Rosh Chodesh. So today is the fast day. So we're saying, even though Rehobliel says you keep the fast day because it was already started, the series already started, we don't complete it because we don't want to have a total fast day on a moat. Then the bishop is saying, so too you could have the inverse. Well, let's say sh- it, 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 the fast day is a Friday, right? You have a, a Tishabav, or like what we have, a Sarbatev is a Friday. So there, what's the halacha? There we're saying there, the halacha is, we don't want to go into Shabbos fasting. Why? Because that's against the, the, the nature of the day in Shabbos. What's the pshat in that? So it seems that what? The first initial moments of Shabbos that you're still going to be fasting before you break your fast, you're going to be in pain in Shabbos. So it's going to be against the onik. It's going to be against the onik of Shabbos for those few first moments of Shabbos when you're in pain. So it's a completely different angle, right? The first angle is that on a moed, you shouldn't have a fast day. Now there's another din. You shouldn't be bitzar from the fast day on the Shabbos. So that's the two angles on this. Now we, we, you know, we famously know that we don't do this, but it's Asar B'tavis that goes on Friday. We actually do complete the fast. So that's a whole discussion for another time. Why exactly it is that we don't do that. It's a big machlokas. We're showing him whether to do it or not. Many of you showing him held that we should do like the Mishnah, that we should break the fast a little bit before Shabbos, or at least be Mikabal Shabbos early, so on and so forth. But our, that's what, definitely what the Mishnah is saying. The Mishnah is saying the same way that you're not mashlim. If it's a moed, so to hear, you're not mashlim if Tishuvah is a Friday. All right. So the mission. Now we go and analyze the mission. We say the procedure for the fast days is that we take out the aron to the street. 
So which times are we talking about? Well, again, we have three series of fasts. So Afilu Kamaisa, is this done even during the first two sets of fasts? Or Aminu, in other words, for the Stimas HaMishnah, it's, the implication is yes, but the problem is, look at this bride. So Shal Chanos, Rishon Hashanos for the first and second sets of fast. The Chasam Vesek Knesses. No, we go in the Shul. We have a regular davening of Shavach Ronos for the last seven fasts. There, Motinus Deva the Rachavish year, we take out the Aron to the town square. Rosh Hashanah Gavat Teva, Rosh Hashanah Av Basin. We put the we put the dirt. The ash on the Aaron and on the leaders. Every person puts the ash on their heads. They would bring ashes. In other words, the first it seems it seems like they were taking dirt or dust. The second opinion is saying dafka ashes. But anyways, what do we see from the bride? So we see from the bride so that the Aaron is only taking out. We only dive in the street by the last fast. So how could our Mishnah just say say their tainios? So the Gemara says no. In a Hanami, Amar Papa, Where did our Mishnah as well say it? It's only going on the last seven fasts. Even though the mission didn't make that point clearly, that's what we are forced to say. Then it says, Barosha, Nazi, we put it on the head of the Nazi. But other Tani, afterwards, the mission says, every put it on his head. So it sounds like first you put it on the most significant, the most prominent people put the ash on their head, and then everybody in the community follows. So the Gemara says, Eni, is this the way that we should do it? We should start from the more prominent people and then move on to the less prominent people. Vatanya says in a prize, Rebbe Yomer, when you're dealing with an honor of giving kavo to somebody, so you, already, you always give kavo to the most prominent person first. Ubiklala, when it comes to the opposite, when a curse, misfortune to someone in Maskilim then you begin with the least prominent person first. The bride that gives a ride to this big Dula Maskilim where do we see that? Shenemar, Moshe So it says Moshe is to Aaron, then to Lazar, then to Isamar. Because since he's speaking to them, this is in the context after Nadav and Aviu die. So, 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 so in these commandments, it says specifically he speaks to Aaron, then, then, then to the lesser prominent people. So Bigdula, you go to the most chashva people, and then you work your way down. Uba when it comes to, to, to something where you're dealing with the klala, then it's the opposite. Maschilin menakatan, you start from the less prominent people. Where do we see that? By the curse, right? Manasha Kalish Baruch who dealt with them. It was the snake and then Chava and then Adam. What's the Pshad? Because you when you when when there's a sense of curse, when there's misfortune, when this, then we always start from the less prominent. So what's going on in our Mishnah? In our Mishnah it says that we're first putting it on the the Nazi in the Av basin, and only then are we putting the ashes, everybody's taking the ashes on themselves. So what's Pshad? It should be reversed. So the Gemara answer is no. Actually, Putting the ashes on their heads is chashivus for them. Why? To Amr because basically the tzibor is saying to them, You're so chashiv that you're worthy of davening for us. So it's actually a matter of prominence. You want the ashes on your head. It's a, in other words, obviously we're doing it for humility and all this and that. But putting the ashes there is a sign of respect. It's a sign. It's not like, you know, like Adam and Chava where they're getting punished. No, I mean, you punish the snake first. Here, it's not a punishment. Putting the ashes is a sign of respect that we want you to daven uh, we want you to dive in first. Continues the Gemara. Then we said everybody puts the ashes on his head. So the Gemara says, by the Nasi and Nasi Abbasin, they should also take it themselves, put it on their heads. Why is it different that someone else is taking the ash and putting it on their heads? Meaning the language of the Mishnah is that, the, that, that they take out the Aaron and they put the ashes on the head of the Nasi and the Av Basin. Clearly, it sounds like that other people are putting the ashes on the head of the Nasi and the Av Basin. Whereas when everybody else is taking the ashes, they just take the ash and they put it on their own heads. So what's going on? Why by the Nazi and the Av Basin are they what? Are they not able, capable of just taking the ashes themselves?
You can't compare being humiliated by yourself does not compare to being humiliated by somebody else. In other words, you feel humiliation when somebody else is doing it to you. That's stronger than a self-inflicted way. So therefore, we make sure that other people are putting the ashes on the head of the Nazi and the Av Basin. That humbles them more and they'll dive in better. So it's an interesting thing because we just said a second ago that it's a matter of prominence, right? So it's like a little bit of a dichotomy over here. And we're giving them prominence. We want you to dive in for it. But at the same time, we're trying to evoke a tremendous sense of humility. So therefore, we're putting the ashes on them, but they're not putting the ashes on themselves. Where on the head does it go? It goes on the place where the tefillin is worn. On the top of the head. The Pasuk to give them beauty, to give them beauty in a place of ashes. So it sounds like that the ashes and pe'er go together. And we know that pe'er is, uh, is a reference to the tefillin, the glory of Klai Yisrael, as it says in the Pasuk, it's a reference to the tefillin Shavash.